Shalom and welcome everyone to the ICEJ webinar series. I'm uh, David Parsons, one of the uh, vice presidents here at the International Christian Embassy Jerusalem and our senior spokesman. We're coming to you, of course, uh, a little over two months into Israel's war with Hamas in Gaza and, and the other fronts that we could uh, mention, Hezbollah in Lebanon, uh, also terror sweeps through the West Bank, Judea, Samaria, and uh, the Houthi Yemen's lots of regional developments to talk about. And today we'll be covering the topic of Israel's war of re-independence, or many say Israel is fighting its, uh, its second war of independence, of course referring to when Israel first had to fight uh, for its national sovereignty here in 1948. And our the title, the topic, uh, was selected by our guest today. Our featured guest is Dr. Dan Diker. I've known Dan uh, for uh, over two decades. He's always been very available when we did Front Page Jerusalem Radio, uh, so many other things. He's spoken at our conferences. But Dan uh, is has been with the Jerusalem Center for Public Affairs, one of the prominent, uh, preeminent uh, think tanks here in Jerusalem. And uh, about a year or so ago, he was promoted to president of that very important institution. Good to have you, Dan. Thank you very much. Uh, and Shalom from New York City, uh, David. We're I'm here trying to, uh, uh, trying to embrace our uh, brothers and sisters uh, here across the seas. Who have a very many of them have a, a very frightened sense of their own safety and security as Jews, uh, noting that they have never felt under threat since this, the Nazi period. Uh, uh, regarding the title of today's talk and discussion between us, okay. So we're we're going to let you go ahead and and sort of frame today's discussion. Uh, I've heard many Israelis say it. We feel like we're we're fighting for our homes like the generation did in 1948 in Israel's War of Independence. Uh, the Palestinians call it a Nakba. Is this a second Nakba? <laughs> is it a second uh, War of Independence? What Israel's faced since October 7th? Please. David, it's very compelling that you opened the program with the word Nakba, because what we face today, uh, in contradistinction to what we faced 75 and seven, all 76 years ago, uh, was then a war of independence uh, in the true sense of the word, having come out of the ashes of the Holocaust, the worst instance of mass murder of Jews uh, in certainly in 2000 years and, and maybe uh, and maybe uh, uh, ever. I'm talking about the Holocaust itself, the Nazi Holocaust. Um, David, the, the word Nakba that you just used has to be understood in context, and it's very telling as to what we're facing today. In 1948, when the Arabs and the actually the, the Arabs inside geographical Palestine that were being mobilized by the the Arab Legion uh, outside of Israel, they intended to incinerate, to eviscerate, to destroy the Jews inside of, of Israel at that time, and they failed. And their failure is why they called it the Nakba. The Nakba in Arabic means the disaster. And it wasn't the disaster that they, uh, they were uh, exiled or ran away to other Arab countries and to uh, the West. The Nakba was their failure in their own, own eyes of, of murdering the Jews, of killing the Jews, and, and, uh, and then being exiled. And that is what we're facing today. The, what will be a Nakba, uh, I can promise you, is that the Hamas and their taskmasters and their mentors in Tehran, who form the greatest threat to the Judeo-Christian tradition, to Jews and Christians, to Western civilization uh, since the Second World War period and the Nazi regime. Um, this is what we, we, what we face today is a, uh, uh, is a, a war of 
intended extermination, no different than the Nazi regime had in mind for the Jews in World War II. But the difference today, and this is why we call today's discussion the re-independence of Israel, the difference today is that Israel, having been a card-carrying member of the United Nations General Assembly since 1949, has been attacked in a way that we were not attacked in 1947 and 48, and that is with a war of deception, with a war that is being led by, characterized by, punctuated and accented by the greatest instance of um, uh, what we call not only deception, but disinformation, misinformation, malinformation, uh, and this is what is, this is what really is a greater threat to the Jewish people in the state of Israel today than even the physical war that is taking place as we speak in Gaza and even over the northern border uh, opposite the Hezbollah and opposite Syria. Because today, David, the element of a state's legitimacy in the international community as being monitored minute by minute by cell phones and by instant communication and by social networks. These are weapons of war. And if states today fail to assert their international legitimacy, then it, be, it becomes very difficult for them to defend, to defend themselves, to argue for their just existence in the international community, it threatens isolation. Uh, it threatens the ability for any any state to defend itself. And this is the major element in today's challenge for the nation state of the Jewish people, a tiny uh, state of, of uh, uh, a, a, one of the tiniest states in the world that faces one of the largest threats that any country could imagine. Uh, opposite it, its people. So it, it's re-independence because we not only faced a physical threat to our existence on October the 7th, 2023, when for the first time since the founding of Israel in 1948 and the third commonwealth of the Jewish people in history, um, we, we faced a situation physically of existential threat in the sense that the Iran-backed Hamas penetrated and violated our international border, invaded with 3,000 people from Gaza, led by the Hamas operatives, but also including the public. There were women and men and young boys with machetes and with other weapons that came in. And by the way, a lot of those weapons were modern weapons modern weapons and, and advanced uh, capability of uh, machine guns and mounted uh, uh, mounted on pickup trucks, hundreds of pickup trucks that violated and invaded our borders and massacred our children and mass raped our women and our children and burned families alive. This type of barbarism, of savagery, is reminiscent in its essence of some medieval uh, a medieval invasion uh, uh, between, between civilizations of savagery. And there is an existential moment in that savagery, David, that we haven't seen because Israel as a nation state was unable to protect its women and children and civilians, which is part of the social contract between the people of this country and, the, and, and its government was the contract of protection. After the Holocaust, we said from the ashes of Birkenau and Dachau, never again, never again fail on October the 7th. And in that sense, there was a physical threat to our existence because Israel was unable to defend its women and children for the first, for the first time since the uh, Nazi, since the Nazi Holocaust. And in that sense, the existential implication physically 
of that attack, David, was that the the Hamas we now know had far more devilish plans than we might have thought on October the 7th. And you may have heard as one of the great, I would say, students or sources of knowledge of the Middle East yourself, that the Hamas had the intention of penetrating Israel up to Jerusalem and beyond, cutting Israel in half, extending its mass murder and assault into Judea and Samaria, and invading Israeli cities in a way that the Western world has not been exposed to. And in that sense, creating an existential threat uh, of, of unprecedented import across Israeli cities. If you can imagine thousands of Hamas taking thousands of Israelis captive, not hundreds, but thousands, massacring uh, uh, in, in cities across, uh, you know, up and down the western coast and, cu- and then cutting Israel into two, we would have had a situation of, of, uh, uh, that would be unimaginable. And as it was, David, it was an unimaginable uh, violation of human dignity and, 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 and a violation of personal and collective sovereignty. Um, and th- in that sense, David, it was an existential threat that the uh, Israeli heroism, there were men and women both who lost their lives in defending the homeland um, and keeping these mass murderers contained to southern Israel. Uh, and we remember, David, that that um, many people don't are, are unaware of the fact that on, to- on October the 7th, eight weeks ago, um, not only were the kibbutzim and the small uh, towns, communities, what they called the otef, the envelope around Gaza in the southern Negev, were they decimated and in many cases incinerated, re- reminiscent of the Nazi atrocities, but that they succeeded in penetrating our cities. They went into Ofakim, uh, into Zderot, they went into real cities and took hostage in police stations and in buildings. And, and you heard the screams of women and children and men who were watching these Hamas barbarians climbing up the stairs of residential buildings, moving into elevators. These are scenes of horror films of Netflix that we cannot even imagine. And even so, the Israeli men and women of the police forces, the security forces, the army, the civil guard, heroically put themselves in the line of fire and saved an even greater physical massacre. That is the first reason why this is a talk this morning between the two of us. I'll finish my introduction in a moment. That's called the re-independence of Israel because there was, again, a physical threat of an extermination of the Jews that was prevented beyond the South. Number two, and I think this is the larger theme of our discussion this morning, David, and that is that if the cell phone and the social networks are the arbiter of legitimacy today because of the ability, uh, not only of our ability to have this conversation over Zoom between New York and Jerusalem over a cell phone, over a social network, uh, on a, uh, you know, on a, what used to be called a TV network, but now it's called Zoom. Everybody is a member of this Zoom family, if you will, enabling this type of extraordinary moment-to-moment communication. But it's that moment-to-moment communication that also poses a threat to people's existence because with the cell phone, you can mobilize 7 billion people in just a minute or two. And that is what is happening. Uh, the the malign behavior of these terrible actors, Hamas, Hezbollah, the Palestinian Authority, Iran, the Houthis, and the radicals uh, in the Western discourse today, the Marxist Leninist radicals that you know that have that have married their intersectional cause, as it were, with the Islamists and. I can tell you here from New 
York City. They they are roving gangs of kafir kafia wearing men and women that are calling uh, that are calling on Hamas to continue its genocidal attack against Jews. And let me just finish this this comment about the uh, the uh, uh, existential threat through the lack or through the threat to our legitimacy with a personal story. Just the day before yesterday, I was walking down Madison Avenue on the Upper East Side of Manhattan, New York City, and I came upon a roving gang of kafia wearing, flag waving, what they call pro-Palestinian demonstrators who had just been on a Park Avenue parade of what they call pro-Palestine. It has nothing to do with pro-Palestine. It has to do with destroy Israel and the Jews. And I, I came upon them and they were tearing down with fire in their eyes and hatred in their heart. Posters of children and women in Gaza that had been kidnapped and they are posters pasted all over Manhattan calling for the return of these kidnapped victims. And these so-called pro-Palestinian protesters, uh, we came upon one another in violent rhetorical confrontation and they said to me, it's all a lie. You, the Jews, have made this up. You, the Jews, have deceived the world. And in that, David, you see the Nazi-like uh, the Nazi-like propaganda of Der Stirmel and the Nazi-like propaganda of, of Goering and of Hitler accusing the Jews of being evil and paving the way towards their physical extermination. This is the feeling in New York, and I can say that it is a risk for Jews, even in New York City, which is the capital of the Jewish people, if you will, outside of Israel, with three million Jews. People are frightened to wear their kippot and signs of Jewish identification on their bodies. This is this is a situation we have not seen since the Second World War era. So it is a conversation this morning of re-independence because of this combination of physical threat, as well as um, I would call this the the, the threat of uh, international legitimacy, uh, uh, and that that legitimacy is also under threat. Well, thank you, Dan. There's a lot to uh, un unpack here, but uh, it's a very good s starting point. If I might uh, inject a little uh, positive note into this discussion, uh, you know, here at the Christian Embassy, we, we represent Christians who uh, recognize that in the past it was Christians in the name of Christ spewing false accusations and heaping upon the Jews all these uh, falsities about uh, killing Christian children to bake matzah and all the the lies, the anti-Christian anti-Semitism of the past, and we have repented and feel uh, totally the opposite now and are want to tell the world uh, it was wrong when we did it then, and it's wrong when Hamas and, and Arabs and the, and the pro-Palestinian supporters accuse you of lies today. So things can change, but you're right, this is a very, very dire moment uh, for Israel, the Jewish people. We met with uh, this—he's uh, one of the spokesmen at the foreign ministry early on. There were several Christian leaders here in Jerusalem who— he called in to meet with us, and he said, look, because of these home invasions and chopping people up and the rapes and the murders right in your beds of your children and all, that all of Israel, uh, the, the only way they're kidding along, he said, is we're all, uh, um, it's only sleeping pills and alcohol. It's the only way we can get to sleep right now. It was quite uh, you know, a somber message from him, but every even though it happened along the Gaza border and that heroism that pushed it all back into Gaza for now, all of Israel felt their homes were invaded that day and that, that physical um, shock it even came to me as a Christian who, who lives about three blocks from the Arab side of East Jerusalem, and, and you, you felt it very strongly. Yeah, very much so, David. The, the feeling I think that you're trying to convey is one of, you know what, anything can happen. 
if the unthinkable happened and Israel was was actually invaded without our people being able to defend themselves for some hours, for a few hours, what anything can happen. You just mentioned living, you know, in Jerusalem, which is a mixed city. Uh, and by the way, it, we should tell our our blessed listeners, well, and viewers, that in general, Jerusalem has been quiet. Jerusalem has been calm. The 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 Arabs of East Jerusalem, and even the Arabs that live right with with us um, throughout Jerusalem, have recognized um, that uh, that the coexistence uh, is more important uh, than the Islamist and nationalist incitement uh, that has been attempting to inflame and uh, the entire region, because that is the, the Hamas doctrine, as Arafat's doctrine was until he died in 2004, was to ignite the entire Arab Muslim world against the Jews. And by the way, objectifying the Christians on the way, because Arafat and the Hamas are speaking in the name of the Christian uh, of the of, of 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 Christianity, and this is and this is intolerable, and it really requires David, our Christian brothers and sisters, to stand up and di and disallow, prohibit themselves of being objectified and used by the Hamas um, as weaponry against the Jews. Yeah, Arafat always talked about how he was custodian all the mosques, minarets, and churches of Jerusalem. No one exactly, no one appointed him that. Um, look, I, I am surprised, uh, given what happened in May of 21, uh, what, 11-day rocket war when there were fights and, and street brawls between Jews and Arabs in some of Israel's mixed cities. It seems to me that a lot of Israel, most Israeli Arabs, and even in East Jerusalem, even in the West Bank, they thought Hamas, they, they were shocked themselves. Hamas went too far in what they did on October 7, and they don't want to live under that sort of rule, that sort of uh, demonic uh, regime. It, uh, the, uh, you're absolutely right, David. Uh, you're referring to what was known as the guardian of the wall uh, counterterrorism operation following the Hamas assault in May of 2021. Many of our viewers may not remember that this is not, not the first, nor the second, nor the third Hamas mass assault. But since the Iranian regime in 2000, between 2014 and 2018, essentially became the strategic mentors and financiers of the Hamas in Gaza, including having Iranian agents on the ground in Gaza, in the tunnels, um, there has been a, a fundamental shift in strategy and upgrade in their strategic capabilities, in their ideal, in their even in their ideological uh, inspiration, even though we know that Hamas are Sunni and their mentors are radical Shia um, uh, that has its own tensions in between. But nonetheless, you refer to May 2021 when the Hamas succeeded to ignite the passions and the fury of uh, Israeli Arabs in a couple of cities. But we should bear in mind the vast majority of Israeli Arabs remained quiet uh, and um, uh, and and did not participate in some of the what essentially were lynching mobs in Lod, which was uh, in or they say in Arabic in Lida or in Lod, which is right next to Ben Gurion Airport, in which roving gangs of Israeli Arabs uh, were actually uh, looking to lynch Jews. But it wasn't limited. It definitely was limited. But that is another underlying factor in today's discussion called the reindependence of Israel. Uh, because this has been a process of ideological, religious, and physical assault on the very existence of the nation state of the Jewish people. Remember, the name of this Hamas massacre, you, rem you know, remember what it's called, uh, David? It's called the uh, Al-Aqsa Storm or Deluge Flood. The Flood, the Flood, the Deluge, you said it well. It's the Al-Aqsa Flood. And the meaning is for them that Jerusalem, as the focus of our Judeo-Christian heritage, um, is, in their view, the epicenter of this religious jihad against the Jews. And I will say again, it's against the Christian world as well. Osama bin Laden called the Christian world the Crusaders as he brought down the 
Twin Towers in New York and hit the Pentagon in 9-11. And he called the Jews the Zionists. And, and let's remember that the Hamas today is the Al-Qaeda of today. It is the ISIS of today. It is the Osama bin Laden of today, sitting in Gaza and sitting in Tehran. And they have made this religious mandate to destroy the Jews and attack the Christians part of their uh, uh, of their um, collective identity and intention to to for Islam to take over not only Al Aqsa Mosque, which they accuse the Jews of of uh, uh, of um, defying, and and of uh, you know uh, the word is uh, not only of, of defiling is the word I'm looking for defiling the Al-Aqsa Mosque, even, and talk about what we started in our conversation this morning, David, talk about the deception, the deception of Hamas, where if you and I go together to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, to the Western Wall, and to the mosque, we will see thousands and thousands of Muslims praying in peace every single Friday under the protection of the Israelis, and hear the Hamas uh, you know, with malice of forethought, deceptively accuse the Jews not only of, of failing to protect them, but of trying to defile their holy sites. It's an absolute insane sense of Nazi-like deception. And this is exactly the threat, as I said before in our conversation, to Israel's very legitimacy and to the legitimacy of the Jewish people and their collective right um, to have their own mini-state here in, in the land of Israel. Yeah. I, I can uh, verify. I, I live about a block and a half from a really stunning overlook towards the uh, city, old city of Jerusalem from the south, the Temple Mount, and I can verify that it uh, this past Sukkot, Feast of Tabernacles, uh, at the end of it, they launched this Al-Aqsa storm. It was actually the quietest Sukkot on the Temple Mount we've had in several years. Usually there's rock throwing and all sorts of stuff uh uh, going on up there, fighting Israeli forces from the Al-Aqsa Mosque and all these Jews, but it was quiet, but they still launched it. It was part of their deception, I suppose, uh, trying to hide what they were doing. Uh, we're talking here about the the renewal of a physical battle over Israelis. Everyone feels they're fighting for their homes, and the the ideological diplomatic battle over Israel's legitimacy that it feels like 48 again when Israel had been accepted by the international community in the uh, in the UN partition plan vote that approved a state that Israel then declared. In 48, the slogan was, we're going to drive the Jews into the sea. Today, it is uh, from the river to the sea, uh, the Palestine, Palestine is free. Is there really any difference in that, of course, some will say, "Ah, oh, we're just uh, talking about free," but they mean the whole land. They want to free it of Jewish sovereignty, and some of them free it of Jews, like forty-eight. I think there is a distinction. It's a very interesting point that you raise here. Uh, the the Egyptians, the Syrians, and even the Jor well, less the Jordanians, but the Egyptians and the Syrians were leading this crusade by saying we will throw the Jews into the sea. As a matter of fact, that was a term, an expression, that was used by none other than Ahmed Shkari, who was the first chairman of the Palestine Liberation Organization. He said that in 1964, and that was a continuation of what his brothers had said in, 19, uh, in 1948. Uh, and in fact, it's interesting that that, that expression uh, was um, very much why Ahmad Shakari did not last as the chairman of the Palestine Liberation Organization, uh, um, uh, and because the idea in 1948 was that we will we we will kill the Jews and take Palestine as part of an Islamic part of you know the Arab uh, the Islamic land that could not be uh, taken over by anyone else except Muslims. And therefore, uh, there was no claim at that time, not in 1948 uh, and not subsequently by the, the Arab world, that this was Palestinian land. They claimed that this was Muslim land. This was a war to the death between the Arab world and these Zionists that came, you know, in their view from Europe 
and were part of the colonialist British and French takeover of the Middle East. Now the story has changed completely because now the deception has asserted that this is Palestine. This has been, uh, you know, not only geographical Palestine, you know, commensurate with the Sahara Desert as a geographical area with no national affiliation to it uh, on the Arab side. But in fact, this had been historical Palestine and the Palestinian people's land had been uh, had been co-opted and stolen by the Jews. So it's far worse because it, it accuses the Jews of stealing. You know, there you have those anti-Semitic tropes. The Jews are stealing the land of the poor of the of the Palestinians, which in a way is a is a moral challenge to the people of the West, because this notion uh, is 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 that the you know the evil Jews have uh, have stolen the the birthright of an indigenous population. It speaks to the social re and moral revolution taking place in the West, or the moral threat to the West, of you know the progressive radical camp of um, uh, which is characterized by victimhood and color and identity politics, uh, wokeism. And so that makes it a far greater threat than even in 1948. Because when you say from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free at Harvard University, you, you, we are witnessing the convergence of, uh, of, of, of gay people and um, you know militants from different ethnic groups together with Palestinian uh, uh, protesters that create a, a really an evil intersectional uh, Marxist Leninist uh, uh, a fascist uh, combination of people who see themselves as victims who see the, the they don't see the Palestinian marauders as invaders but in fact as victims and they see the Jews uh, you know as the as the villains and that narrative is what is a great threat. To Israel's uh, to Israel's legitimacy, and they say from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. This has been a Hamas idea uh, since 1988, when Hamas charter was established. Uh, that um, you know that 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 Palestine, quote unquote, will be free of Jews. So it's it's similar uh, in in intent as to what we saw in 1948, but in effect, it's much it's far worse because it claims the Jews. Um, who have a state and have had their state for 75 years have actually stolen the uh, the birthright, if you will, of the indigenous brown people, uh, which is a narrative that plays so well in the West, uh, which in many er in many ways has lost its identity and lost its way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, one of the uh, I guess the end games of this delegitimization of Israel and Israel as you say, fighting again like it had to in 48 to defend its sovereignty and defend its legitimacy as a, a member state of the international community. Today, um, there's this, you, you hear it, we've heard uh, not only Hamas say it, we've heard uh, Palestinian Authority leaders say it, I believe Turkish officials have said it, some of the, uh, the Iranians have said it, that Israel as an occupier does not have the right of self-defense. And I, I believe we've seen this effort before, but the way they're defining it now, if you occupy land, you do not have the right to defend yourself in that land. But what needs to be made clear is they consider the whole land from the river to the sea occupied and not just Gaza and, and the West Bank. How, first of all, how um, how solid is this claim that Israel was still an occupier of Gaza because they controlled the airspace, they controlled the borders, Egypt also controls the border? The question for you, does the United States control the airspace over Mexico? Does the United States, does the United States affect or defend itself in the airspace be even between Canada and the United States? Answer, of course it does. The the uh, 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 question number two, how well did this claim that uh, Israel effectively occupies Gaza, even though there's not one Jew anywhere near inside Gaza? They pulled out lock, stock and barrel in 2005, 
forcing 8,500 Jews who had lived there for three generations um, uh, to, uh, uh, to leave uh, uh, Gaza in the hope that that would generate a peaceful outcome. And in fact, Gaza, David, as you and I know, is basically a state. It is a state called Hamastan. It's a state that is controlled by Hamas, that is, quote unquote, protected or other way, another way of saying it, terrorized by Hamas, financed by Iran and Hamas, receiving tens of billions of dollars, tens of billions of dollars since 2005 when Israel pulled out of Gaza lock, stock and barrel. Israel did have a what they call a sea embargo against Hamas. Why? Because of the great fear based on evidence that Hamas continually, continually and continuously with the help of the Iranian regime was was getting weaponry into Gaza. Well, how well placed in retrospect was the Israeli concern about the stream and the flow of these weapons? I guess the embargo, so-called, or the uh, what they call what they call the siege. Here comes that deception language again. The sea, the sea siege of Israel against Gaza. It didn't go that well, did it? Because all of the weaponry that Israel was supposed to have prevented of entering into Gaza had actually succeeded in getting into Gaza. So that that is a, 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 you know a complete refutation of the nonsense that people are talking about when they say that Israel de facto occupies uh, Gaza. We took a tremendous risk to our safety and security, and the risk did not pay off uh, and because the massacre occurred. So all of the, uh, you know, the ridiculous claims that Hamas was, that, that Gaza was not independent. There you have that victim, that's that victim narrative again. They, in any other situation in the world, they could have turned that into the Singapore of the Middle East. And in the, in the meantime, they turn it into hell on the Mediterranean because they preferred to spend those billions of dollars on, on the most sophisticated underground terror tunnel and metro network anywhere in the world instead of, uh, instead of building infrastructures and schools and, uh, and a, a thriving, prosperous society, which they could well have done. Yeah. Yeah. If, if Israel was still occupying Gaza, they weren't doing a very good job of it, huh? No, they certainly weren't. Were they? And, uh, and if, they're, if they're committing genocide against the Palestinian people, they're not doing a very good job of it because the Palestinian population just keeps uh, expanding and exploding, uh, according to a lot of the demographers. Um, uh, a couple questions here. Uh, and uh, again, I think it's important just so our, our viewers know that when when a lot of these Palestinians or pro-Palestinians talk about occupation, they're not talking about the West Bank and Gaza. They're talking about the entire land. They will they do not recognize the legitimacy of the Jewish state. And it was great hearing President Biden at the Hanukkah reception at the White House the, the other night saying, I recognize not only Israel's right to exist but to exist as a Jewish state, very important. But <clears throat> Hamas is is like the Palestinian branch of the Muslim Brotherhood, which was founded out of Egypt, has branches including in Turkey, which is Erdogan in Turkey, the president of Turkey is a Muslim Brotherhood. Why is it Hamas is the only one that has picked up uh, arms to fight now, whereas these other chapters uh, take the slow approach education slowly creeping annexing taking over everything until they're ready to set up they have the same goal of a worldwide caliphate it's true david and i think you raise an important point is that the muslim brother is an ideological organization has a strategy a political strategy uh which you know can be traced back to its beginnings in 1928 when the uh hassan al-banna in egypt um, founded the Muslim Brotherhood, and the, the there was a whole ideology behind the, the Muslim Brotherhood that was based on this idea of Jalaliya, uh, uh, that um, the the primitive uh, pre-Islamic, uh, uh, pre-Islamic, you know, I would call it uh, ignorance, had invaded the world once, had invaded the world once again, and it was up to the Muslim Brotherhood to educate the world uh, as to. The importance of uh, of Muslim dominance uh, over the world. It wasn't primarily a military idea. 
it was a it was a religious, ideological, and political idea that would play itself out not only in Egypt, uh, but it would actually evolve to become, uh, you know, the Wahhabi thinking. The Muslim Brotherhood were the pre were the ideological precursors to Al Qaeda, actually, uh, and to the Wahhabi to the Wahhabi movement. So there was the militarization of the Muslim Brotherhood idea um, uh, over the last century. But it's not automatically Hamas. It's it it it, it evolved into Hamas. It also evolved into a military a militarized uh, reality in Jordan over the last years. And this is why Jordan is very frightened of the Muslim Brotherhood uh, in its own uh, in its own country. The militarization of the Muslim Brotherhood we have seen primarily in Gaza and uh, less so in Judea and Samaria, the West Bank. But that that's where. Uh, we we have seen this, um, as we said, militarization of the Muslim Brotherhood idea that that is not uh, uh, is not like the Hamas everywhere it exists. But the Hamas, I think, has seen itself as the head of the spear of the Muslim Brotherhood idea, which is really reflective of the more militant approach of Said Qutb, who was the in uh, I think he was the inheritor and the, uh, the the he who carried forward the legacy in the 1950s in Egypt uh, and tried to overthrow Egypt. I mean, he threatened Egypt, Said Qutub did, in, uh, in the, and he was, uh, he was hanged uh, by Egypt. Um, I, I think it was in the uh, either mid-50s or early 60s um, uh, by Egypt. So it's not automatically a military uh, operation, but it has become, Hamas has turned that into a you know the army of the Muslim Brotherhood, if you will, from Gaza. That's the that's the sort of the psychological uh, uh, dynamic that it sees itself playing out, and it just it definitely sees itself as Salah Hadin, you know the the Islamic warriors uh, for for the uh, for the whole Middle East and for the world. That's the way they see themselves, and that's where they see their success. They see this operation, this massacre, as a great success because of the psychological messaging that it sends the rest of the Arab Muslim world as well as to the West. Hey, let me ask you the the sort of uh, shift we're seeing in Turkey with Erdogan, which is his uh, welfare party, uh, uh, they call it Dawa, I think, in Islam, social welfare, helping the poor and all, but uh, he he's a Muslim Brotherhood leader uh, how serious a shift is this where he's become turned very anti-Israel? Of course, there were always troubles and problems, but this seems like one big long temper tantrum by him. But is that movement uh, going to turn Turkey into a, a, a jihadist nation that threatens not only Israel, but uh, many other countries in the region? Well, you see, David, that there are countries in, in the Middle East, Turkey as a non-Arab uh, Muslim uh, country. And in fact, Turkey was the great hope um, for the West, having joined NATO. Uh, and yet they're playing a double game because Erdogan is a true believer. He's a Muslim brother. Uh, and he, uh, as a Muslim brother, has become the host for the Hamas uh, in, uh, in the Middle East, replacing Syria as the host country for the Hamas. Um, and there were actually, in a related point, there were actually uh, murders. Because the Hamas had sided with the, the Sunnis in, in the Syrian civil war. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. They they sided with the Sunnis in the Syrian civil war. And let's remember, the Syrian Alawite family that controls Syria is an offshoot of Shias. Yeah. So they... Right in their anger, their fury over Hamas's siding with the Sunnis in the civil war, they expelled the Hamas, uh, and the Hamas found a new home in Turkey. And Turkey and Qatar, and Qatar. So yeah. Qatar and Turkey have become double. They've become, uh, you know, actors that are playing double games. Of course, Qatar is the Muslim Brotherhood capital. Uh, really, we call it a bank with a flag, uh, as opposed to a country. And uh, we expected both that Turkey and Qatar would have been able to return our kidnapped women and children and men um, within hours, or if not days, from Hamas. And it's absolutely intolerable that with all of their, the money and the uh, power that they have, that they were not able 
to immediately return our our kidnapped uh, our kidnapped civilians. It's 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 absolutely intolerable and really unimaginable that they weren't able to do that. And I think, by the way, on that point, that the United States uh, has not done what it is in its power to do to prevail both upon the NATO member Turkey as well as Qatar, where America has a major uh, military uh, fleet installation. They were not able to prevail upon those countries to return every single last hostage. I find it absolutely um, uh, unintelligible and and morally intolerable. But your question is, uh, you know, whether he is turning Turkey, what he has done is he turned Turkey into a psychiatric case. Because on the one hand, he mobilizes the Turkish identity of people against Israel. We've seen that since 2010 and the Mavi Marmara ship incident where they the the Turkish um the Turkish uh fundamentalist party sent a what's called a, a humanitarian ship which was nothing of the sort it was a weapon ship into Gaza stopped by Israel as you remember there was a real uh, confrontation there where a number of Israeli soldiers were killed and wounded and we killed a number of those operatives on that ship and since then we know uh, uh from two years before when Erdogan actually delegitimized and demonized Shimon Peres, our former prime minister, uh, in uh, in an international forum, we saw that Turkey had become very adversarial. And even though today, as we speak in this conversation, Turkey has relations with Israel because of its own economic fears uh, and the fears of being isolated because of the emergence of Iran and the Iranian uh, uh, axis of evil, axis of resistance, or what they call axis of terror, um, it is playing a double game all the time, and uh, this is a this is an issue we have to watch very very carefully because Turkey was a great friend under the Kemalist uh, under these Kemalist years of of uh, what we call secularism in Turkey or the division separation of, of mosque and state that now has been fused re, re refused. Um, uh, by uh, uh, Erdogan and his Muslim Brotherhood uh, fellow travelers that run uh, uh, Turkey. And Erdogan is really a dictator. He's been there for, goodness gracious, he's been there for many, many, many years. Yes. He, he and Putin. <laughs> and Absolutely. and the boss. Yeah, we may see some real turnover in the leadership in the region soon. Uh, Dan, we're going to have to start wrapping up. Anything else that you want to say? I, I really hope uh, you know this. Uh, these messages are are getting through to the people, especially this thing of how uh, you know Hamas. Um, even in their charter, they they start with the Jews, but they're actually uh, aiming towards the uh, the Crusader West. They still consider us Crusaders. Absolutely. Well, it, it's a moment that requires moral clarity, David. Uh, if the Judeo-Christian West must understand that its way of life, its moral structure, its civilization is under threat, and what starts with the Jews uh, doesn't end up only with the Jews. And this is why the message that we must send forth from Jerusalem uh, is that the, our very way of life, our values, our existence here uh, as uh, as a civilization a Jew, uh, that is underpinned by Judeo-Christian values is under existential threat. And that's Iran, the Iranian regime, Hamas, Hezbollah, Houthis, other, the other uh, members of the axis of terror. And it really uh, compels us to act together. Israel needs the hundreds of millions of Christians, the, the, the billion, uh, the, the worldwide Christian population, David, is a billion. It's a billion. A two, and now it's 2.2 or so, I believe. 2.2 billion people. We need the Christian world to stand up for Israel uh, in an unequivocal voice of moral clarity because this is really a war of civilizations and we're on the same side for sure and we're here in Israel, as you are right now, protecting uh, the very heritage of the Judeo-Christian tradition, the, mo uh, the moral inheritance of the Judeo-Christian tradition, and this is very much what's under threat. So I would, it, this is a call from Jerusalem for the 
for the Christ, for our Christian brothers and sisters, the 2.2 billion around the world and more to stand together with the Jewish and democratic state. Okay. Well, thank you. We've been speaking to Dr. Dan Diker. He is president of the Jerusalem Center for Public Affairs, one of the preeminent uh, think tanks in Israel on strategic issues. Uh, also, uh, the founder, um, uh, Dr. Elazar, was an educator, edu all sorts of social educational issues, public affairs. And uh, they, uh, your website, jcpa.org, right? Yes. Please come to our website at jcpa.org. We have a daily uh, news and analysis update at 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, five days a week. And we would like to send you the daily alert, which is a presidential briefing hyperlinked every single day. You can sign up at jcpa.org. Uh, and um, also, please feel very welcome to uh, partner with us and support us. We're very close friends and partners of the Christian International Christian Embassy Jerusalem. So you would be donating to the same family. But of course, your first priority, as I would say, is to to support the International Christian Embassy Jerusalem. But if you have, if you're so inclined to have a second uh, opportunity, that we would hope that you would come and support us because. We're here fighting on the front lines together with our Christian brothers and sisters at the International Christian Embassy Jerusalem for the future of our uh, of our uh, for the future of our joint of our people. Yeah, that's good. Hey, uh, Dan is uh, putting together uh, like a webinar like this every day, going into a, a lot of uh, detail on the conflict, the current situation. You can uh, watch that every day and uh, the daily alert. It's an email comes for free to your email box your inbox, but I've been a subscriber there for since it started uh, 20 years or so ago. It's an excellent daily digest, uh, summaries of all the main news stories out of Israel and the Middle East affecting this region. Thank you, Dan, for your time. <clears throat> all the best. Happy Hanukkah. And uh, we just want to thank everyone for joining us again today. Join us next week, Thursday, 3 p.m. We'll come to you again. I think we'll probably go to uh, some sort of Bible teaching with the Christmas holiday coming up, but we will relate it to the current conflict in some way. you got to stay tuned. You could join us next week to find out how, but it is a very relevant and interesting connection. And uh, every day at the top of the hour now, we have our daily global prayer gathering. Join with Christian leaders from Israel around the world to be praying uh, every day through this conflict, 4 p.m. Israel time, the, uh, and you can go to icej.org to find the link to the daily global prayer gathering. God bless you, and happy Hanukkah, happy Christmas from the Jerusalem.